0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high quality leads, fast closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hi, I'm Daniel
1: Roth, LinkedIn's editor in chief. Welcome to This is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who change our world and find innovative ways to manage unusual challenges. Today, my guest is Tamron Hall. Tamron is an Emmy award-winning journalist. She's accomplished so much in TV. She's been a reporter, a news anchor, a national morning news show host. That's like the pinnacle of TV news. Her most recent project is her self-titled daytime syndicated talk show, The Tamron Hall Show, where she is both host and an executive producer. This episode is so special to our team because we got to sit down together in person for the first time in almost a year and a half. It was a flurry of taking masks on and off, fist bumps, hugs. We're all figuring out how to be with each other again. Tamron was on set shooting for LinkedIn News' Reshuffle, a new series about how the pandemic has changed the way we work for good. This is a subject that Tamron knows well. Just months into the Tamron Hall Show's very first season, the pandemic forced her to stop production. To kick us off, I asked Tamron to reflect on where she was when she found out everything was changing. Here's our conversation.
2: Uh, I was interviewing Angela Bassett. That is not a name drop. That is the (laughs) truth. uh, On my set, and I remember saying to her, we're hearing uh, that Broadway will close down and that may affect my show. Every day, we hosted uh, between hundred and fifty, and 175 people in the audience, and some days, two shows a day. So we were with our audience for a tape show with Angela Bassett. And as I was wrapping my interview with her, I received a text message from my agent saying they're closing down Broadway and I'm hearing they're closing down all of the shows. And that was the beginning. I thought, Two weeks. Right. Two weeks. I thought the max. I told my team, I'll see you in two weeks. I left everything in place, thinking that we would return in two weeks. Two weeks later, we were told, no, you will uh, be on hold for maybe a month. And then I started to think, how do we do something here? So I started doing a, an Instagram live conversation, just updating our viewers and our fans. And then I got on the phone with my executive producer and I said, we've got to come up with a plan. We got to figure out how to get back on air, and we had a little bit of a buffer because all of the newscasts were taking over the slots. So mm. all of the game shows, my show, we're not on. It's all breaking news, and that gave us a beat to figure out how do we how do we pivot, how do we get back on air.
1: What was the process like for pivoting?
2: It was a hail mary. There was no there was blindfold, throw the ball. And hope that your wide receiver on the other end, who's also right. a blindfolded, can catch the ball. There was no technology that we could point to or that I had in my home. We had my iPads. We knew that Skype, Zoom wasn't even, you right. know, we say Zoom as if it's been around. We've known this, this technology, what, 18 months? <laughs> we knew we had Skype, FaceTime, if we were desperate enough. I had my son's baby monitor, which was an iPad. We grabbed that. I had a producer run over a love mic. We weren't sure if we could come in contact with one another. She left it at my doorstep. We had, um, I think, because I'm in TV, I had a selfie light already. I'd like to let everyone know I was one of the first mm-hmm. with a selfie light. We used the selfie light as lighting in my kitchen. And we taped and recorded the show to my iCloud account. I have no idea to this day. I wish I could tell you that there was a, a plan. There wasn't. There was always the pivot. And there was always the thinking there's got to be a technology there are kids out here who do entire shows on youtube we have the infrastructure of abc disney studios we've been doing this myself and my executive producer for 25 years let's figure this out and it was truly everything in the kitchen sink.
1: and are you the kind of person that is okay operating like that on the fly or are you a planner what was your mindset like as you were using your baby monitor as a way to handle your show.
2: You know, nothing in life could have prepared me for this experience. I've been in television for 18 years. I've covered natural disasters. I've covered some of the biggest stories from the World Trade Center to the earthquake in Haiti. I've covered it all. This was incredible because I am covering it as a journalist, but we're experiencing it together. My son was 10 months old and his babysitter was staying with us just for the weekend. She ended up permanently staying with us through September. So for March through September, she was supposed to be an overnight babysitter and I needed her to, I said, are you available? She's great. And we formed this small unit in my home and proceeded, but I'll tell you nothing that I've ever done in my life or covered as a journalist could have prepared me personally for it. But I'm thankful that I think with my team, We'd already had six months under our belt with the show. But most important, we recognize the responsibility of the show. Our show is a talk show. We talk people through it. And I knew, and I told our affiliates in Disney, I think we have a powerful voice in this conversation to give information, to talk with people. One of our first breakthrough episodes from my home was a woman who lost her husband after he went to get a haircut at the barbershop. And she sounded the alarm to neighborhoods of color the black community this is real and we can die from it i did that interview via skype from my home and that aired nationally and it went all over the place and it was one of the first moments for me or it was the first moment that i knew we've got to figure this out we have we can play an important role in getting this information out with this talk show
1: well you were also responsible for how many people are part of your team? I
2: have, oh, well, around 160 employees and, you know, the camera crew, everyone. We were just, I wouldn't say lost, but we were certainly, like everyone else, afraid right. uncertain. The rug, if you will, had been pulled from under the world. And we knew that it wasn't possible to continue inside the studio. That was tough. That was, I think, as a leader of a show, as an executive producer of the show. When people ask me, you know, what's been the most surprising thing of having a talk show, you know, I said, the weight and responsibility of making sure your employees are okay, and I couldn't, I couldn't do that.
1: Right. So, what did you do? How has the structure of your work changed because of this?
2: I tried to lead by example. You know, many of my team members are parents. Most of which, I think, around fifty to sixty percent of my uh, creative team are women. And and so for me, it was important to lead by example. It was okay to see my son in the background. You know, it was okay to say, "I need to be now." My work is in my home, twenty-four hours a day. And so I tried to structure that balance, even when I didn't feel the balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad was in the army. My mom was a teacher. The warrior spirit lives in me all day. So I I tried to armor up as best I could. But certainly there were days I cried or days that I, like everyone else, you look out your window and you wonder, where's the world? I looked out and everyone's masked up if they're outside at all. So for me, it was important as the leader of the show. If I couldn't show resilience, how could I expect it of them? That was critical. Did you have to? But did you have they have me to, yeah, yeah all the time. In what way? In what way? Oh, you know, showing yeah. up. Yeah. You know, we were on Zoom calls. There were days that, you know, I look at this Zoom. We're meeting now because this is our, our meeting room. And all of those faces and everyone, some in their bedroom, some in their closet, some in their kitchen, some of the family member walking behind them. It inspired me that they believed enough in what we do every day to show up because I, on days, wanted to shut down. I thought, close the door, let's not go out until we see a dove you know, with an olive branch to let us know that it's okay, to quote the Bible in Noah, right, right. Yeah, that it's okay. But at the end of the day, it's the resilience, it's the fight that we knew we had to provide for our families and ourselves that, that got us through and got us here.
1: Well, so now it's what, 16 months later, we are in the U.S. emerging from the pandemic, hopefully. People are returning to some degrees of normalcy. Did your work go back to what it was like? Are there permanent changes? How has the what you have gone through in the last year, how will it change your work?
2: It will change forever. You know, I, I can tell you, I remember Dan going back into my studio in September after not having been in the room since March 10th. And it was, uh, I kept saying to my team, it was like this movie I saw Brendan Fraser, where he comes out of the bunker in like a 90s movie, and you know, the world has stood still. My shoes were exactly where I left them. You know, I had opened a bottle of perfume, it was off to the side. It was this eerie feeling of the world stop. But at the same time, there was a feeling of, okay, let me put the lid back on, let me move the shoes, what are we gonna do? And so we implemented some strict guidelines in accordance with the CDC and New York State. We had to downsize the crew, but my producers ended up working from home, from London, Tennessee, Chicago, Texas, California. We had producers all over the country, internationally, there every day, putting on this show. So there was no audience. You know, We did a virtual audience. Yeah. We did giveaways with people from their homes. We pivoted in a way that kept us going and kept the spirit of the connection. You know, My show is Let's Talk About It. And that's our catchphrase. And we continue to talk about it. Now in September of 2021, I'm waiting to hear, but we feel very confident that we will have an audience, a smaller audience, but an audience. And we'll just keep building back from that point. But we will forever be changed as professionals and personally at home.
1: We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Tamron shares her plans for the future of the show.
0: Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back.
1: Now that Tamara knows she can produce her show from anywhere, I asked if she would insist that her crew come back in person. You know what that you mean? is the
2: goal. I mean, I, I don't think I have to insist. I think they all They're want to. to, but... We recognize now that if there are producers who we feel would be a great fit and they don't live in the city, that's something we can explore. Mm-hmm. My show is based in New York City, but as you pointed out, it's now proven to all of us that we're not limited by the boundaries of a zip code, yeah. you know, even in television. So for me, I look forward to the audience being there, but... Listen, I want to keep the virtual audience, too. I just talked with my executive producer, the hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. I would love to continue to have an in-person audience and those people who could not join us there. How do you do that? How are you going to do it? The same way we've done it. We'll have them in the audience there. We'll have people. And I'll tell you this, before the uh, pandemic and things shut down, we had a cyber audience, three people. Um, who would join us from home every day before mm-hmm. the pandemic. And the, the spirit of that or the intention was that I was a kid who grew up in Texas. My family they didn't have the money to fly us here to stand outside. The Today Show studio, that was never on the list of things that we were able to do. And I always wanted to um, have a component of the show that would allow for people to participate who could not, for whatever reason, come to New York City. You know, we take it for granted, let's go to New York. Well, everyone can't do that. So that was always an element of our show. So, you know, I talked to my producer recently. I said, well, I just want credit for the fact that I was ahead of the Zoom and the Skype audience. So we will expand on that through uh, the technology that is now available that's even better. And I'll tell you. Looking at the cameras of our virtual audience, most of them are on their laptops or their computers. We all now have selfie lights. So you you pop into someone's home, they are ready. They've got the flowers in the background and it just looks better and better each day.
1: But I also feel like people have have started to feel like they can um, be their true selves on these virtual screens too. I'm sure that people felt very like they had to really show up in their best way when they were in your virtual audience. But now it's sort of like, you have things that are behind you, kids, what as you said, like kids walk in, like we've learned to be in each other's living rooms all the time. And
2: that's a balance too. I mean, I embrace the the idea that we're all in each other's home, but I think for my team, especially those who may continue to work um, from home or do a hybrid, I don't want them to feel that every day they're stammering Hall, my boss in my home, or right. that, you know, I've got to get on a Zoom with you when may not want me to see you that day. So I think that that's the great balance that I have an audience who may want to participate live every day and we see more of each other's homes. But making sure that employees don't feel that I'm just this presence all the time. I had a call the other day and the person said, can you jump on a Zoom? I say, can I jump on a call? (laughs) I just need a call right now. And it's in that balance that I think I am trying to lead with in my, personal work-life balance.
1: One of the episodes for uh, Reshuffle deals with the question of how the pandemic has affected women in particular. You talked about being a woman, a woman of color, of how your show tackled that. Um, There's some new research out from the Gabe Foundation that finds that men have come back almost 100%. In fact, more than 100% from where we were pre-pandemic. There are about 13 million women who have not been back in the workforce and they expect another 2 million women to leave the workforce this year. Those are big gaps. Do you feel a need to help with this at all? Do you feel like your show can? How are you thinking about this? Oh, I'm compelled.
2: Um, I'm compelled to have this conversation. Daytime audiences are primarily women. My show is half and 50% women of color and women who are not. I have a wide range. We have economic, the range of women. Um, And I think for me, I wouldn't be here without strong, resilient women, entrepreneurs, or people who may have just been inspiring and worked nine to five jobs, never to own the company, but treated it like it was, was her own. So for me to have this conversation, the why, how do we fix it? And how do we make sure that the next generation of women, God forbid, there is another catastrophe of this nature, that women can also reset and reboot in the same way that men and mm-hmm. and that's a complicated question as I said I have a son who's two years old and it it is not lost on me for a second the difficult nature it make it actually makes me a bit emotional to think about all the women who had to say I have to stay here or do I give up my job that's right it's 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 unimaginable, and for me, having the platform that I have and being able to have this conversation, not just so that we can, I got misty eye so that we can cry about it. How do we fix it? Right. How do we, we repair the damage and put in an infrastructure where women can rebound when the unknown variable happens? Because we know the unknown variable always does. We didn't know this would be it, but it always happens.
1: Yeah, so... What role do you play there? Is it bringing these topics up uh, on your show? Is it talking about it publicly? Is it employing women? How do it's you all think of about those it? things.
2: Yeah. It's all of those things. But I think, you know, as we talked about in Reshuffle, it's showing examples of how people did rebound. You know, showing the problem is one thing. And I think, you know, that's a part of what I do as a journalist. Here is the problem. I don't think that. In my role as a reporter we always showed the solution and so with this talk show i have that is very important to me we had a show the other day yes she codes there all women who code and have done innovative things i interviewed a, a woman who worked her way through college as a housekeeper in a hotel she is now a nasa scientist right you show those examples of resilience if you show women business owners and why they feel that this was their calling and how they turned that calling into something special. That's the role I play. In addition to hiring, you know, I tell people I'm a mom, but that's only two years of my journey. My womanhood journey was 48 years mm-hmm. before I became a mom. And I don't conflate the two, but I understand that we need to, as women, support each other. Not that men don't understand, and I have amazing men on my staff, but, there's a unique conversation that we have amongst ourselves, whether it's pay inequality, whether it's feeling unheard, whether it's the feeling of powerlessness, even when we have the power, how do we talk about it with each other? And I think, I know, that's the purpose of my show in so many ways.
1: Yeah, well, you've had a tremendous career, incredible rise through TV to national TV, morning shows, MSNBC. Is there anything that you have taken from your path that you have either said now as as a manager, as an executive producer, you're just saying, I'm never going to do that again. I am rejecting this. This is not how we are going to be. Or I love this this aspect of what I experienced coming up through TV and, and we are doubling down on
2: it. I know it's cliche to say I never say never, but I try to avoid that. One of the things that I want to make sure that I instill in my team and it's front of mind given what we've all experienced is the ability to express vulnerability in the workplace, you know, sometimes the mightiest get knocked off the rock, but you're holding on and you're climbing back up. And in my world in particular, well listen, all industries, who's rewarded the most? First, it seems the most confident. Well, That's not always the case. And I want to have a balance and an openness where vulnerability is celebrated. You know, it's okay to come in and say, listen, I'm worried about my son. He's got a fever and I want to be able to still show up and do what I need to do, but I need five. Let me just take five and not have that pressure. I've shared this with people I mentor in my career. I didn't always stop to smell the flowers because I was looking for the next garden. I was looking for the next accomplishment. I was looking for the next TV gig, a reporter, an anchor. Now I'm an anchor in Chicago. Now I need to go to New York. And I didn't always stop to smell the flowers because I thought it would make me look vulnerable mm-hmm. if I was not always ambitious and I always didn't have a plan. It's okay. And I think your employer will appreciate it. No one wants you to just got to kick back, but there's also a balance an appreciation of vulnerability that I want to instill in my staff and myself. And I think that's a result in some ways of this pandemic.
1: So you were driven to find that next role. But did you also feel like you had to show that you always wanted that next higher job as well?
2: Well, the person rewarded was, you know, the person who spoke up. I remember, uh, I was probably in my early 20s, maybe 22, and a news director said, I want to see if you have that fire in your belly, you know, and what does that mean? There, I, I was working hard. I was like young Tamron the reporter. And that wasn't enough. He needed to see the fire in my belly. And I thought, wow, what does that mean? That means never saying no. Sometimes I think it's borderlines on applauding people being obnoxious even in the workplace. And I don't want that. I want people to feel showing up as their best selves in the workplace is something that's expected but I don't need you to operate at this high frequency all the time. I don't need that because it can lead to toxic environments. It can lead to an imbalance of work life and personal life. And I feel that at age 50, about well, 51, I know that you can have that desire to be a high achiever in the workplace without it, without, I don't know, without being, I don't know if I want to say this, but you don't have to be the jerk to do it. I know, is that wrong to say? No, (laughs) that's great.
1: We just had Robert Downey Jr. on This Is Working, and he said, and I wish I could remember the number, but he said one of the things he's realized late in life is that your job is something like 40% being there and like accepting what's around you. Maybe it was 60% kind of being there and accepting what's around you and 40% really hustling. But I used to think it was 100% hustling. I agree. That's not what it's about.
2: It's not. It's not the hustle and it's not always rushing in because it can breed unhealthy practices in your work and personal life. I, there's a book that I read um, for many, many years. I think annually, this was my thing. And it's called Path of Light. It's no longer available anywhere. I think I have the last copy. A friend's mom gave it to me. And it said who are you if there's no title beneath your name you know there have been different anecdotes and different stories with this book i received at age 18 and it wasn't until i lost my first job i've never been fired in my life until i was let go of a very high profile national show and i had to take a step back who are you without this title you know how do you answer that question that was a very important moment for me and i think again going back to where we are so many people have business cars and it doesn't have that title that you had 18 months ago. If you were lucky, it has a new title, as we talked about in our series, people who got raises and promotions in this odd world. But for many, many others, by the millions, it was just your name. Yeah. And it's reevaluating the hustle and how much of the hustle is needed to achieve things. And don't get me wrong, I'm a hard worker pays off. And my twenties was a work hard, play hard philosophy, but it is at 50 that I recognize you don't have to have this blind ambition to win because don't you want to see it as you are winning?
1: That was Tamron Hall. You can see her hosting the Reshuffle series on LinkedIn and be sure to check your local listings for the Tamron Hall Show. During our conversation, Tamara was great. She's an open book. She's a big talker, and it's not surprising that the catchphrase of her show is, let's talk about it. I love that because it's exactly what our mission is here at LinkedIn News, which is to get the business conversation going with you at the center. So with that in mind, I I would love to hear, how are you reshuffling your career as we think about post-pandemic life? What do you now expect of your employer or employees? Let me know over on LinkedIn using the hashtag thisisworking and reshuffle. You might see some of your thoughts featured on the platform. As always, to get more news and insights on our changing world, you can also follow our main LinkedIn page, which you can find by searching for LinkedIn news. Please share this podcast episode with a friend who believes in communicating during difficult times. This is Working as a production of LinkedIn. The podcast was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Taisha Henry and Michaela Greer. Joe Georgie mixed our show, Florencia Iriando, is head of original video and audio. Dave Pond is our technical director. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong, see you soon.